Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to a very special edition history pirates penguins steelers players there is a man who was one of the greatest athletes in pittsburgh sports history that i think many pittsburgh sports fans would know and remember the name but especially if you're a younger person you may not know the name marie stokes you may not know the story of marie stokes and jack twyman both of whom are from Pittsburgh. So we're going to share the story today. We're going to take a trip down memory lane and talk about a guy that might have been one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived, even if you don't necessarily know much about him or know his story. It is a fascinating story, a very sad story, but also a very uplifting and inspiring story, the story of Marie Stokes and Jack Twyman. And to share the story, I'm going to welcome in really the world's foremost authority living on the story, and that is Dr. Pat Farabaugh from St. Francis University in Loretto. He wrote a phenomenal book about Marie Stokes called An Unbreakable Bond, The Brotherhood of Marie Stokes and Jack Twyman. And, and uh, Pat, you're the first non-athlete we've had on Memory Lane, but I thought this would be a really good way to share the story with someone who knows the story better than anyone else. How are you doing today, pal? Thank you for joining me. I'm good, Corey. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the chance to share a little bit about these two remarkable men's uh, Pittsburgh story. If people know Maurice Stokes' story and the Jack Twyman story as well, then hopefully you can enjoy the recap. If you don't know anything about what we're talking about, Marie Stokes was one of the great basketball players who ever lived, and his career and life were cut tragically short when he fell on the court and hit his head in a basketball game in the 1950s. We're talking about both these guys, though, Pat, because they're both Pittsburghers. Tell us a little bit first and foremost about Maurice Stokes' background, where he's from, and Jack Twyman's background, where he's from in Pittsburgh. Yeah, sure. Maurice was born in Rankin, uh, which is about eight miles south of Pittsburgh. It's right on uh, the Monongahela. Uh, and uh, his, uh, his family, uh, well, his family first, they started in Braddock, uh, and then they moved 
uh, to Rankin. He went to Westinghouse High School. They would move again when Maurice was five. Uh, they moved to the Homewood uh, part of Pittsburgh, and he would attend Westinghouse High School, uh, where he would uh, really make a name for himself uh, with the Bulldogs. He had a couple uh, brothers who were good athletes, and um, he was a big man. He was uh, They wanted him to play football, but he opted for basketball. So that's the school that Maurice attended in Pittsburgh. Jack went to Central Catholic High School. So Maurice was uh, at public school. Jack was at a private school. Uh, and the first occasion uh, that the two men had, their lives would obviously intersect in a whole lot of different ways, but uh, they played pickup basketball at Mellon Park. Uh, Jack Twyman, who uh, he and Maurice are both in the Hall of Fame, as you know, uh, but Jack, his basketball career started uh, rather uh, inauspiciously. He was cut uh, from Central Catholic's team as a freshman, as a junior, uh, and a, as a sophomore and a junior, and uh, boldly, and this is in Jack's personality, went up to the coach after his junior year and said, you won't be able to cut me. Uh, I will be good enough to make this team as a senior. Uh, and uh, he worked at Mellon Park primarily, playing pickup with uh, with other uh, standout Pittsburgh players uh, over the course of that summer and would have a great senior year and would go on to play at the University of Cincinnati. So Jack and Maurice knew each other as teenagers. Did they develop, and that's very, very important for what we're going to get to here in, in just a little bit about the incredible personal bond between these two. But did they know each other real well, or were they just kind of guys hanging out, playing pickup, and just competing with each other? The latter, Corey. They were uh, they were not close. Uh, they came from different backgrounds, uh, hung out in different circles. Basketball brought them together uh, on the playgrounds uh, at Mellon Park. Uh, and uh, they, again, knew each other, uh, would play with and against one another. Uh, Jack was there pretty much uh, from the time the pickup game started uh, until they ended uh, his uh, you know his commitment to improving at the game was incredible but no not close all right so we're going to jump around here a little bit because I, I do want to make sure everyone if, if you're not overly familiar with the story you need to know this part of it. Marie Stokes had a legendary career at St. Francis College which we'll get to in, in a bit was the number two overall pick in the 1955 NBA draft. Maurice Stokes was incredible. He was like Dr. J. I've heard Michael Jordan, Dr. J. Who would he most resemble as a basketball player, Pat? You know, he uh, – those are, are more perimeter-oriented players. Maurice had ball-handling skills. Maurice had incredible passing skills. And, and uh, the most the most contemporary uh, player uh, that I can compare him to is LeBron. He was a big man. Uh, but he had the court vision, and he also had the ball handling abilities to uh, bring the ball up the floor. And I'd encourage you, there, there are some YouTube clips out there of Maurice handling the basketball. Uh, you, you go to YouTube and you, and you look him up, you'll see his handling ability. I think, Corey, the closest that we get is LeBron James because he's a big man that's able to play on the perimeter, able to shoot the ball, able to handle the ball. I think that's the closest we come. He's been compared to Magic. Uh, but again, even with Magic size, he was always more of a perimeter player. Uh, Maurice was like LeBron, in my opinion, a post player that can uh, do just as well on the perimeter as. Uh this episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. intimately familiar with all of these details. A lot of people listening to this podcast may not be familiar with any of them. So they hear you say, LeBron, magic. Why have I never heard of this guy? Well, he was the number two pick in the NBA draft in 1955. He was the 1956 NBA Rookie of the Year. He put up some incredible stats in a short period of time in the NBA. But what happened to Maurice Stokes, Pat? Why, why did we not hear a lot about him deep into his basketball career. Dominant at St. Francis, an All-American, he averaged averaged uh, 20 points, 22 points, 25 rebounds per game in his career at St. Francis. And just to give you a sense, Oscar Shibway, last year, UK standout, he averaged 15 and led the country. Uh, Maurice averaged over his career 25 rebounds per game. And as you mentioned, uh, was drafted by the Royals, the Rochester Royals, there now the Sacramento Kings, franchise uh as you mentioned number two pick he was the first pick by the royals jack twyman who i mentioned uh would have a great senior year at central catholic get a scholarship offer to the university of cincinnati jack was rochester the rochester second pick uh in that draft and uh the two would 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 be together up in rochester the rookie 55 56 as you mentioned broke the league single season rebounding record in 56-57, uh, and with Bill Russell's uh, first year in the league, those two had some great battles. Uh, and then the franchise moved to Cincinnati, from Rochester to Cincinnati in 1957-58. He's an all-star again in the 1957-58 season. It's the last regular season game, Corey. It's March 12, 1958. It's a Wednesday evening, and they're playing the Minneapolis Lakers. That franchise, of course, is now in Los Angeles. And he drives the basket. Uh, he's on offense. He gets tangled up. Uh, nothing malicious, nothing uh, flagrant. Uh, just two big men collide in the lane with Minneapolis' uh, post player, Vern Mickelson, who is nearing the end of his career. And Maurice falls to the floor, hits his head off the floor against the Lakers uh, on that Wednesday evening, uh, and he's out. Uh, he is knocked unconscious. They revive him with smelling salts. They Interviewed his coach. He's passed on since Bobby Wanzer. He was actually a player coach. And, you know what was what went into you know the decision to to bring Maurice back in. It, it, when you're working with history, you have to be uh, mindful of not look at the prism of today. And, and Bobby said, "We he came up to me. He said, Coach, I'm ready to go. Put me in.' Uh, and he did. Uh, he was not himself. Uh, did not." play all that well down the stretch and was this so the, the same game was this this was that he he got knocked out and got back in in the same game correct correct he sat on the bench for a little while he, he walked off the floor in his own powers they revived him uh again with some smelling salts that brought uh, him back to consciousness he sat down he got up uh, this is according to his coach bobby who i interviewed uh and said i'm ready to go back in he looked him over uh he went back in uh uh that was the last regular season game. The Royals had qualified for the playoffs. 
The team went straight to Detroit. Uh, they took a train from Minneapolis to Detroit. And that will importantly into this story later. Uh, they had a best-of-three series that would open on Saturday the 15th. Uh, Stokes, well, he wasn't feeling awful either in the days between the Wednesday accident uh, and the Saturday playoff game. Uh, but on the, the 15th, did not feel well before the game. Uh, a couple of players had food poisoning, and they uh, incorrectly assumed that Maurice might be struggling with that uh, as well. Uh, lackluster performance for Maurice uh, against the Pistons in that first-round playoff game. Uh, they lose. The Royals lose. Game two of the three-game series was on Sunday afternoon in Cincinnati, and so the team goes back to the hotel. They get some dinner. They go to the airport. They're going to fly from Detroit to Cincinnati late Saturday uh, and then play the Pistons on Sunday. Reese gets pretty violently ill at the airport before the uh, flight is to depart uh, and goes to the, the bathroom. He's, he's not able to hold anything down. Uh, actually, Maurice Podoloff, the NBA president, uh, cut a, like the, come out the head of the league, he was there, as was uh, Les Harrison, the owner of the Royals, and they're talking, what should we do? You know, what should we do with Maurice? He's not feeling well. And they're like, yeah, it's a short flight. Let's get him back to Cincinnati. Uh, we can, you know, have our team doctor look at him. He was not on the trip. We can, you know, take care of things back in Cincinnati, but let's, let's get him back there. So they get on the plane. Maurice almost dies on that flight. What had happened, Corey, was he had uh, brain swelling uh, from hitting his head. He was having swelling on the brain. That was exacerbated uh, when the, uh, the pressure, the air cabin pressure of the flight uh, triggered uh, more bleeding and triggered more problems uh, that were going on. Uh, he was given oxygen uh, by a flight attendant named Gene Phillips, probably saved his life. He was sweating profusely, laid him across uh, the, the back of the airplane, and uh, the plane landed uh, in uh, the Cincinnati area in uh, the Kentucky area. Area, was rushed to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, arriving shortly before midnight. St. Elizabeth is in Edgewood, Kentucky, since he's right on the border uh, with Kentucky, and went into a coma, fell into a coma for three weeks, uh, obviously uh, missed the game. Uh, this is a 24-year-old man. Uh, and let me, let me stop you real quick, because what, what's happened here, again, he got hurt in a game on a Wednesday night, came back into that game, and played and then played an entire game, did you say Friday or Saturday, Pat? It was Saturday. Saturday played an entire afternoon. basketball game on a Saturday. And then the next day is when all of this happens. And, and you want to think about what we know nowadays about head injuries, what we know nowadays about how to, how to find some medical issues. With what, was any of that available at that point, Pat? Did they have any way to examine Maurice Stokes's brain to was he was he really examined very much at all other than just hey he looks good he can, he can get up and walk so let's just play him per the people that I spoke with no now did they have any this was 1958 March of 1958 did they have any of that technology I don't want to say for sure I'm not a medical expert uh, but it was basically did you pass the eye test did you look okay? Uh, and uh, and you can 
you can speculate what might have happened had he not gotten on that plane on that Saturday evening uh, and flown to Cincinnati. Uh, but no, to answer your question, Corey, numbers that uh, they take today, the precautionary measure, people go into and they get a baseline, uh, you know, exam for a concussion. None of those things were in place at this time. So this game takes place in March of 1958, a playoff game. Pat has already compared Marie Stokes' playing style, perhaps to a LeBron James or a Magic Johnson or somebody like that. And yet he never played in another basketball game after that, Pat, after after the the plane ride. So uh, pick up the story from there. He goes into a coma for three weeks. Um, how much fear is it that Marie Stokes was going to die? He was given last rites uh, at the hospital, at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, when he arrived. Uh, as that swelling increased uh, with the problem being exacerbated by the air cabin pressure in that plane, his motor system, his ability to walk, talk, pro body movements, that shut down. His mind, uh, the, the intellect, uh, it was all there. Uh, he emerged from the coma. The mind was alert, uh, but discovered his body couldn't respond, uh, you know, to the commands. He just said, uh, I want to move my right arm. Uh, that uh, The mind tells me to do that, and I'm able to do that. There are more reefs uh, as a result uh, of the brain swelling following that accident. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit. If something like this today happened to LeBron James, it would be 24-7, nonstop, media coverage with just the way the world is. Did anybody really even know what had happened to Marie Stokes? What was what was it like? What was the word of the day in 1958? Because, again, he got up and played a basketball game three days after hitting his head on the court. And so just what was the feeling at the time of, of what exactly had happened to this, again, NBA Rookie of the Year, NBA record holder for rebounding in a season. Legendary player that, again, younger folks today may not know who we're talking about or why we're talking about him. But if he plays another 15 years in the league, he absolutely, you absolutely would know the name. So what was what was the attention or the media focus like at that stage? A couple of things on that. This was the 1950s. This was not the NBA 2022 uh, it did not get the visibility. Obviously, we didn't have the media channels uh, to uh, promote. But the league was in its infancy and, and was, uh, while growing in popularity, it was nowhere near uh, the popularity of Major League Baseball, certainly during the 1950s uh, or the National Football League. The players, most of them, unless you were uh, really one of the stars, uh, you had other jobs uh, in the offseason uh, because you needed that additional income. Uh, and, and Maurice felt he was going to get better. Uh, and that was communicated. The Royals, they knew this was, uh, you know, he was one of the, uh, you know, one of the catalysts in making that, uh, transition from Rochester to Cincinnati. Uh, they felt Maurice would be able to draw bigger crowds, bigger arena, a bigger, uh, you know, market. Uh, and so, uh, the Harrisons, the brothers that owned the Royals, they were, yeah, Maurice is going to be back. Uh, they wanted to keep the fan base, uh, pumped to see this young superstar uh, entering, you know, the, the what would, in all for most players, be the prime of their careers. And and again, Maurice himself, Corey, he thought that he was going to beat this thing. He was in the hospital, uh, and you know, he 
realized uh, the daunting challenges, uh, but he was uh, optimistic at least initially. Now as time wore on uh, and he saw a very incremental improvement in his uh, walking, in his talking, uh, he spoke in a real guttural way. He lost his ability uh, to use his voice the way he once had. You know, he thought he was going to come back. And so there was not a lot of coverage. Uh, now, Jack Twyman would bring the story uh, to uh, the nation uh, to take money for Maurice. I don't want to skip ahead uh, in sharing the story. But at the time, there was not uh, the channels to get the story out. And again, the message, hey, we're going to get Stokes back in 58-59. Folks, again, when I say uh, Dr. Pat Farball is the world's leading authority on this subject, uh, this is what we're talking about. Uh, Pat wrote the book, An Unbreakable Bond, The Brotherhood of Maurice Stokes and Jack Twyman. Uh, Pat is a professor at St. Francis University in Loretto. The motto of that university is become that someone. Where does that phrase come from, Pat? How does it relate to Jack Twyman? So the season's over. Well, they lose that Sunday game, as I mentioned, to uh, Detroit uh, without Maurice. Uh, And so the season's over. Players go home. Jack, who uh, had been drafted as undergrad ball at the University of Cincinnati and then uh, team relocated to Cincinnati. He lived in Cincinnati. He had married, met his wife, Carol, at UC. Uh, uh, The other players went to their respective hometowns. Uh, Twyman. Uh, who even went through the three NBA seasons. I think this is noteworthy, Corey. Uh, Maurice and Jack uh, were teammates. Uh, they weren't especially close teammates. Pat, I need to interrupt, uh, they, and, and it took 20 minutes for him to bring this up. This does not matter in any way, shape, or form today, I would not think, although maybe. But Jack Twyman is a white man, was a white man, and Maurice Stokes was a black man. This was 1958. So when we talked about were they friends growing up in Pittsburgh playing playing uh, pickup ball? Were they friends on the Cincinnati Royals? We're talking about a very different time in our nation's history. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, for those who maybe don't know the the story all that well, this is still very much an integrated country or or, or a separate, segregated kind of country uh, during this time period. Very relevant point. Uh, Corey, with a segregated league, also came into the league from the University of San Francisco in 56, Stokes in 55, uh, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, we're talking about Pittsburgh. Cy Hugo Green and Dick Rick and Duquesne. Jesse are now at Penn State. These were the players that helped to desegregate the NBA. Uh, and, uh, again, at this time, playing pickup ball at Mellon Park, teammates on professional teams, uh, the culture uh, sent the message that the, uh, the white players and the black players, uh, you know, didn't, hang out all that much and and what jack twyman did for maurice and what jack twyman did for uh the the thought that you help your fellow man out um that's as much of this story uh, as anything so that's a very important point to uh, again 20 minutes in uh is very uh very relevant uh to this so more so maurice is in the hospital uh his father was a steel mill worker uh, uh and they he had to go back to work. Uh, he ran into Myrtle Stokes, Maurice's mother, uh, and Maurice did Clarice ran into them at the hospital, uh, and he knew they weren't a family of you know great financial means, uh, and 
he asked Mrs. Stokes if uh, he could assume responsibility for Maurice's finances. Again, think about the you know the uh, surprise that the Stokes family. Again, these two men are not particularly close. It's not like Caro and Myrtle Stokes were familiar with Jack Twyman. He uh, he was sincere in the offer. It was accepted. Uh, Stokes had a small insurance policy he had purchased when he joined the Royals. He did not have a pension plan. He had some money saved away in a bank check. Literally, they couldn't. When Maurice was in the coma, uh, they couldn't. He went bank to bank until he found this bank account. Uh, he worked with an attorney named Walter Beal to apply for relation benefits for Stokes through the Ohio State Industrial Commission. He was arguing that Maurice was deserving of these benefits because he had fought on the first case for a workers' compensation claim in the NBA. And, and so why is Jack Twyman why is Jack Twyman doing any of this, Pat? Well, you hit it. Uh, you mentioned the uh, message of our university, uh, become that someone. Uh, he became that someone for Maurice. Maurice needed a friend. Maurice needed someone to help him uh, financially uh, with the bills that were mounting. Maurice would never get out of a hospital setting. Uh, he would fall in 58, March of 58. He would die April of 1970. Uh, Jack is someone that uh, you look at as uh, one of the greatest examples. We put these athletes on pedestals uh, as role models. And, you know, more often than we would like, they disappoint us with uh, their behavior. Maybe it's our own fault for putting them on these pedestals. And Corey is one of those people that put him on a pedestal. Uh, because uh, if I, I, I can't think of anyone more deserving uh, of uh, striving to be like, striving to become the someone that Jack Twyman was uh, for Maurice. And not, not just Jack, it was people. He said, he, he was sacrificial in, in what he did for Maurice, but he created a ripple effect, Corey. He was uh, the year after, after, uh, the season after Maurice had fallen, uh, he uh, the, the Royals are playing uh, in uh, New York, and uh, they say, hey, there's somebody outside of the locker room after the game with the Knicks uh, that wants to talk to you. And it was a man named Milton Kutcher. He owned a country club in the Catskill Mountains. And Jack, in post-game interviews, Jack's in the Hall of Fame, and with a good reason. His jump shot was incredible. Uh, piled up a, a lot of points. Um, he, when he would be interviewed in post-games, he would say, hey, and I just want I give a shout out back to the hospital in Cincinnati. If anybody can make a donation, Milton Kutcher had heard Jack on one of these radio broadcasts. He comes to the locker room at Madison Square Garden. He says, "I saw or I heard you talk about your friend Maurice, and I, I had read what had happened to him. I want to help." And what Milton Kutcher did, he said, "Hey, let's have a fundraiser game at my resort, the Kutcher's Country Club in the Catskills. I'll." Put the players up. They just need to pay their own way there. I'll feed them. They had a Maurice Stokes benefit game played in August of 59. It drew 70 NBA players that raised money for Stokes' bills, and that game continued to be played until Maurice died. That did is indicative. He, he, he helped his friend, led by example, and it created a ripple effect. The donations poured in. NBA up at the, uh, at the, in the Catskills every August. Uh, he was... He was a great basketball player. He was an even better human being. 
is on self. Uh, one, uh, one last thing. I mentioned Maurice never got out of the hospital. Jack Twyman is in his mid-20s, too. He's a young married man starting a family court home in Cincinnati, wheelchair accessible uh, in, in, in hopes that Maurice would be well enough to move in with, with his young children and his wife. Uh, unfortunately, that would never come to pass, but, um, you know, he was the unselfishness and the selflessness that Jack Twyman exhibited uh, on behalf of a friend, uh, you know, and I've written about this. It still gives me goosebumps as I'm talking to you about it. A sensational, sensational basketball player in his own right. And that is one part of this story that can never be overlooked. During the 1959-60 NBA season, Jack Twyman averaged 31.2 points per game. Let me say that again, 31.2 points per game. Uh, for his career, he averaged 19.2 points per game, averaged over 25, three different seasons. He is in the Hall of Fame as a player. Jack Twyman, again, uh, from Pittsburgh, remarkable play, all these things that we are talking about and we'll continue to talk about with Jack Twyman's humanity, he was incredible himself on the court, right, Pat? I mean, what what kind of player was he? Who who would he be compared to maybe in today's game? He he, he loved the corner jumper. Uh, that, you know, that's a good question. Who would be uh, he compared to? Steve Kerr? Uh, to, Craig, he was, Craig he, Elo? He, he had a little bit more ability. He didn't attack the basket per se, but he could get in the lane and create some opportunities a little more uh, than those two players. Uh, but he was, you know, he was a jump shot specialist. And, and actually, you know, during the three years they played together, he would frustrate Maurice a little bit because even when Maurice played here at St. Francis, uh, you know, Maurice was always called to the player with the better shot. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and Jack, you know, Jack never saw a shot he didn't like. I heard a couple <laughs> of people describe him. Uh, in that manner, and uh, that would frustrate Maurice a little bit when he thought uh, he might be in a little better position. Uh, yeah, yeah, dudes out there putting me. up, dudes out there putting up jumpers. Give me the damn ball, right? <laughs> That's great. But but he could score. You mentioned his numbers, thirty-one point two. That was second only to Wilt Chamberlain, thirty-seven point six that season. Uh, you know, better than two thousand points, and that was in seventy-five games. Uh, so yeah. there is absolutely no doubt that, that you're spot on. Uh, if he had not done anything for Maurice from the standpoint of a humanitarian, his basketball skills alone warrant his place in Springfield. All right, Pat, so medically speaking, I want to get back to Maurice and exactly what happened. Medically speaking, what was it? What was the diagnosis? And he only lived 12, 12 more years. What was Maurice Stokes' life like? until 1970. Well, he was diagnosed with post-traumatic encephalopathy is the medical term uh, triggered when his head hit the floor against the Lakers on March 12th to 58 and basically uh, bleeding on the brain, swelling on the brain that shut down his motor skills. Uh, his life, I mean, I, it's hard to even fathom uh, the, the 180 uh, that his life took uh, with regards to when he entered the day on March 12, 1958, uh, and uh, when that 
airplane landed at St. Elizabeth's Hospital uh, early uh, in the uh, hours of March 16, uh, 1958. Uh, he uh, worked incredibly uh, long hours, grueling therapy sessions in therapy, in physical therapy, in speech therapy. Uh, he, he, he made really minor progress. He could walk with a very uh, sophisticated crutch system, uh, but not many steps. Uh, his language improvement was also marginal. Uh, if you weren't familiar with the guttural sounds he made, you would not be able to understand him. His family could. Uh, Jack could uh, communicate, uh, you know, through voice. Uh, but the progress, uh, the damage that had taken place uh, was very, very significant. And so he sunk uh, He sunk into a depression when he began to realize, after he emerged from the coma, uh, realized that he would not be able to do what he loved, play the sport that he loved, live the life, uh, a semblance of a normal life, uh, you know, as you and I enjoy, uh, as that began to set in. Uh, Maurice struggled with that. Uh, Jack, hospital staff, he was uh, a resident of three different hospitals over the course of uh, the last 13 years of his life. Uh, but he made the most of it, Corey. Uh, he channeled that work ethic uh, that he demonstrated in uh, Loretto and in Johnstown and Altoona. We played games in those venues because ours wasn't big enough for, for all the people that wanted to see Maurice Stokes. Uh, he, uh, at Madison Square Garden, he took our teams to two NITs, and, and he became a, uh, a fan favorite there uh, when he was in Rochester and Cincinnati. Uh, the work ethic that allowed him to do what he did, he channeled it in other ways. In those therapy sessions I talked about, he became a patient that when someone would suffer a traumatic injury, there was a young man that became paralyzed. Uh, not a young man, he was a boy. Uh, dove into the shallow end of a pool and hit his head. Uh, would not open up. Uh, the nurses brought him to Maurice. Uh, Maurice got him to uh, uh, come a little bit uh, to uh, do the therapy activities that the hospital staff were asking uh, of him. Uh, he, very learned man. He was interested in politics. He was uh, interested in music. He was interested in other people. He, his attitude, uh, given what that happening that had been taken away from him, as you mentioned, on a trajectory to be one of the greats. And uh, again, just to go back to the numbers, if you talk about just rebounding averages, all right, he has let's talk about a small sample size, uh, three seasons. Rebounding average, career wise, there's two ahead of him. Will Chamberlain, career average 22.9. Bill Russell, average 22.5. Maurice, 17.3. If you took Chamberlain's Total rebounds, which is almost 24,000 and a little over 1,000 games. And if you took Maurice's rebounding average, 17.3, and you multiply it by the number of games that Chamberlain played, he would still finish third uh, ahead of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So the, you mentioned this and talked about uh, just how good he was. Uh, a body of work cut, a life cut so short, but... Uh, such a small sample size of work trajectory he was on to uh, to stardom uh, is irrefutable. Uh, he died in seventy, battled in twenty five days since he had fallen in that game against the Lakers, uh, and uh, there was a service at the hospital, uh, and then his body was flown 
uh, to Johnstown and then transported uh, to Loretto. And then and a former uh, good friend of my father, Vincent Egerbon, he uh, presided over the, the funeral mass, and he's actually laid to rest. Maurice is uh, one of his last wishes. Uh, he, had, uh, he was not a Catholic growing up, but he had become a Catholic. He had uh, really identified uh, during his undergrad experience here. He was asked to be laid to rest on our campus, and he's one of very few people who aren't of, uh, you know, Francisco Priest, who is uh, laid to rest on our campus. And what is Maurice Stokes' legacy at now St. Francis University? And, Pat, are, is there is there a, a much of a legacy in the Pittsburgh area? How, how is he remembered in that region? Folks at Westinghouse know the story. Uh, they've embraced him as one of their own uh, with good reason. Uh, the NBA... Uh, People of a certain age in NBA circles. Maurice was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2004, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be there uh, for that induction ceremony. Jack Jack died in 2012, by the way, uh, but he was uh, accepted the uh, award on Maurice's behalf, and then, in, in uh, no surprise, uh, we had a little ceremony. It was on a Saturday night on a Sunday morning at the hotel. Jack then donated the Hall of Fame jacket ring and plaque uh, to St. Francis, where we have it on proudly on display here. To answer your question, uh, there are groups that are very familiar with the story, but so much time has passed, Corey. Uh, it's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book. Uh, the NBA uh, challenged the NBA to do something to recognize uh, these two men. Uh, after Jack died in 2012, I still remember, I was uh, in Cincinnati for Jack's funeral, uh, and I read the paper that morning. Jesse challenged the NBA uh, to honor these two men. And David Stern, the former commissioner who has since passed, uh, they introduced the Stokes Swyman Teammate of the Year Award. Drew Holiday was the winner this year, first two-time winner. He also won it two seasons ago. Uh, so some are familiar with the story, uh, but it's a story that we proudly uh, have as part of our uh, branding message here at St. Francis. And uh, it's one that, I, you know, I'm appreciative of you having me on today because it's one that is so inspirational, two remarkable men, one who wouldn't give up, one who demonstrated an unselfishness that uh, that, that still uh, leaves me. In, uh, and, and by the way, Jack's a UC alum, uh, University of Cincinnati alum. We celebrate him, Corey, as one of our own. Uh, we know he's, uh, his diploma came from me. Uh, but, and they actually have a Stokes Twyman friendship room at Fifth Third Arena out in Cincinnati uh, where the Bearcats play their home games. Uh, but we embrace Jack as one of our own. We have a picture of him in our Marie Stokes Athletic Center. He was on hand for the dedication of that building. Uh, so the story is out there, uh, but as time passes, uh, and again, not having the name recognition of some of those other powerhouse names in the NBA, uh, it's one that a lot of people are still unfamiliar with. Very unfortunate as well. And again, uh, Pat wrote the book on all this. I, I covered St. Francis basketball for 20 years, so I, I know the story very well. No one knows it better than Pat. There was a movie, by the way, and I've always been intrigued by this, and Pat and I have talked about this in the past. There was a movie made starring, I believe, what, Bernie Casey in the 70s uh, about Maurice Stokes. Um, is there is there any reason to believe, Pat, or, or hope that, Hollywood might look at this story again and revisit it and do th this would be an incredible inspirational story because there there's the story of Marie Stokes, tremendous player, life cut short. There's the story of Jack Twyman, there's the story of segregation, black and white, there's the story of friendship, 
Um, could could we ever see this on the big screen in in the modern movie era? I'm optimistic, Corey. It's a timeless story uh, of someone helping another. The race angle. I, I forgot to mention this, and if, you know, given that we're talking to a Pittsburgh audience, uh, one of his uh, one of his heroes, Maurice's heroes, uh, growing up was Chuck Cooper. Uh, he went to Westinghouse High School. Uh, obviously, Duquesne does James Fieldhouse, Cooper Fieldhouse. Uh, but the standout player at Duquesne, first black player drafted into the NBA, uh, which was the last of the four major pro leagues to break the color barrier. Chuck uh, graduated from Westinghouse in 1950, uh, a year ahead of Maurice. Uh, so it has a lot of the elements, Corey, of, uh, you know, someone helping someone else a traumatic event uh, that while he doesn't overcome, he works uh, very, very hard uh, and perseveres through adversity. I'm optimistic uh, for all of the, all of the ingredients uh, to the story that I think would make for a great movie. Yeah, it's, it is an incredible story. Folks, if you're listening to our podcast, uh, if you knew the story or felt like you knew parts of the story, hopefully now, you know, all of the story. And if you didn't know any part of this story and you listened to us for, for 40 minutes, I would tend to think that people's reaction would be, wow, I can't believe I've never heard that story or didn't know all those details. I didn't know that story, Pat. I moved here in 1999, started covering St. Francis in 1999, did not know the Maurice Stokes, Jack Twyman story. Uh, and it is one of those things where, again, we're talking about Maurice could have been one of the greatest players of all time. Jack Twyman was an incredible player in his own right. And so you, you just think there, there are very few parallels to this story in our world, in sports, really, Pat. Yeah. They're, they're very, they're, they're very, Brian's song, everybody kind of knows the movie Brian's song with uh, Gail Sayers, uh, the, the, that story, Billy D. Williams, uh, James Conn, who, who just passed away. The, the Marie Stokes, Jack Twyman story would kind of sort of be in, in that realm to a degree. But, Pat, you've spent half your life knowing about, researching, learning this story. What, what's your biggest takeaway about the Maurice Stokes, Jack Twyman story? couple. Sacrificial love. Uh, Maurice uh, needed a friend. He needed help. Uh, and Jack was willing to do that. And in the world of sports, uh, you know, you know this, Corey, and your kids play. It's easy when uh, you have a good teammate uh, to, uh, you know, to do something for someone. Uh, you know, you talk about the challenges Maurice faced, uh, and Jack, he, and, and he spoke about this. You know, when I interviewed him, uh, this book project was done before he died, or it wouldn't have been able to happen because, uh, you know, and I said to, I said to him, uh, you know, he goes, I don't want it to be about me. And I said, well, with all due respect, Jack, uh, you're a big part of the story. But he didn't want anything from helping Maurice. He always said to me he got more out of it than uh, he ever gave back to Maurice. Uh, so the sacrificial love uh, uh, that he demonstrated, he became that someone who needed someone. Uh, and uh, that is so inspirational, the selflessness that Jack uh, displayed. And then for Maurice's perspective, the perseverance uh, – a lot of times, you know, we reach that spot in our life where, you know, we're on a different trajectory than we had. Obviously, his life took a, a, a turn that 
no one could have anticipated. Uh, but he, you know, he lived that life, Corey, from 58 to 70. Life well lived. It was not the way he thought he would spend that time in his life. He would die at, you know, 36 years of age uh, and, and, you know, very well could have been uh, competing uh, in the athletic arena uh, for all of those years had he stayed healthy. Uh, but he made the most of it. Uh, and, and isn't that the, the case for all of us? We aren't going to, uh, nobody has a perfect life. And sometimes we look at people and think they do, but, uh, you know, they, they take the hand they're dealt and they, and they make the most of it. And, and the perseverance that Maurice demonstrated in the midst of, uh, I can't even imagine how, how I might have responded um, to the point where, uh, you know, he was brightening the days of the people. At, there's a reason they had a memorial service for him at the hospital. He was beloved there before they brought him and laid him to rest campus. Uh, perseverance of Stokes, selflessness of Twyman, if, if you really want me to put it in just a single sentence. Pat Farball, Dr. Pat Farball from St. Francis University. His book is An Unbreakable Bond, The Brotherhood of Maurice Stokes and Jack Twyman. It's a tremendous book. It is available. You can look it up online if you want to read more about the subject. But, Pat, I just really thank you for sharing the entire story here. Two, two Pittsburgh legends, basketball legends, um, and hopefully people who did not know all the details of the story now know a, a lot more. I can't thank you enough for the time, pal. Thank you so much. Hey, Corey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to share it with your audience. Thank you, Pat.